Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. Today we're going to look at Numbers chapter 12 together. But before we get in the text, I, I want to talk to you just briefly about my childhood. You see, I have one brother. He's four years older than I am. And I don't know what relationships are like with siblings and other families, but I'll tell you. When we were younger, my favorite expression was Matt's aggravating me. I still remember one morning, uh, my brother and I were going out of the house. We were walking out to wait on the school bus. This is one of my mom's favorite stories, I believe. She told it over and over. But I looked back and I saw my mom looking out the window of the kitchen and I mouthed the words, Matt's aggravating me. You know, when we were younger, we got into plenty of arguments. We had plenty of things that we would pick at, pick at each other at, I'm sure. But as we both got older, the aggravating decreased. There would be days I, I would go to school on the first day of school and the teacher would come around and, and, and they would say, so Matt's your brother. I would say yes. And they would always say something like, oh, he was a good student. I enjoyed having him. Matt set that bar high. I remember when he got into high school, he played football and baseball. And I remember going to games on Friday nights for football and watching all the people cheer for him. And it went from a relationship of where I man, I felt aggravated all the time, it seemed like, to all of a sudden as I was older. I was proud that that was my brother. And I had big shoes to fill in the classroom. Look at with me at Numbers chapter 12, just the first two verses. I, I tell you that story because we're going to see a story of a sibling rivalry in Numbers 12. And I, I don't know exactly what it might look like in your home if you had a sibling and if you got along. But I want you to see this sibling rivalry issue in Numbers chapter 12. Let's look at the first two verses together. Here's what it says. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. So as we look, begin to look at the book of Numbers, we see this family dynamic brewing. Now, wouldn't you expect Moses' brother and sister to be his biggest supporters? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you expect Miriam and Aaron to come alongside Moses and be proud of him because he is the leader of the people of God? Well, let me tell you this. Even Jesus says, Go ahead and expect issues with family members if you're following me. In Matthew 13, 57, here's what Jesus says. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown 
and in his own household. One of the things new believers need to hear is that many will not be excited about their new belief in Jesus. Even in their own family. I've seen this time and time again. A new believer comes to Christ and they go home and they tell their family and they tell their friends or they tell their coworkers and they expect people to be excited about it. And next thing you know, their fire is extinguished by those who are closest to them. Know that this is how the enemy operates. If you, if God uses you to lead a new believer to Christ, warn them that when they go home, the quickest way for that fire to be extinguished is by people they know and they love. Even Moses faced opposition from his own family as he was following the Lord's instructions. So we see Moses' brother and sister, they were troubled by a couple things according to these verses. First, they questioned Moses' marriage to a Cushite woman. See, scholars, they debate this. Is this a reference to Zipporah? Or did Moses have a second wife that we didn't know about? And we're not going to get in that debate here, but that's the first thing that his siblings point to, to say, Moses, by the way, why did you marry her? Isn't the second thing? is they question Moses' authority over them. It's in verse 2. Now, understand Moses is the youngest of the three. Yet God chose Moses to lead his people in a mighty way. In their culture, at that time, you would expect the oldest or the oldest male to be the leader of the family. You wouldn't expect Moses to be the one that God uses, yet that's exactly what God does. Now understand this. Aaron, his brother, was a prophet and he was the high priest. He had the highest spiritual um, role of all God's people. He was the high priest. Miriam was a prophetess. But they obviously had some jealousy uh, issues to work through when it came to their brother. And essentially, in verse 2, they were acting as, as if Moses was prideful. Moses, don't you think that the Lord can talk through us too? It's not all about you, Moses. He can use us just like he can use you. Now, the Lord had used Aaron and Miriam in the past. Back in Exodus 4, we see God use Aaron as his mouthpiece to talk to the people. In Exodus 15, God uses Miriam to essentially lead his people in worship after he parted the Red Sea and saved his people. She was the one that got her tambourine out and led Israel in worship. 
So yeah, God had already used Aaron, had already used Miriam in the past. But make no mistake, Moses was the leader of God's people. That was the job that God had given to Moses. That was not the job he gave to Miriam or Aaron. Praise God that he has a specific job for you and for me. He does. He created us for a specific purpose. He designed us for a reason. And he gives us specific jobs for his kingdom. Aaron and Miriam wanted to run in Moses' lane. That wasn't the lane that God had given them to run in. Moses was to lead the people. That was his lane. He had different jobs for Aaron and for Miriam. We ask you, what lane has God given you to run in? And are you too busy looking at those in the lanes next to you that you're taking the eyes off of your lane and off of what God wants you to be busy doing? I want to encourage you today, as you listen to this podcast, examine the lane God has given you. Do you know what lane that is? If you don't, ask him. He will guide you. And when he shows you the lane that you should be busy running in, keep your eyes on your lane and run with everything you have. So Aaron and Miriam, they're complaining about their brother. And it says at the end of verse two that we just read, it says, and the Lord heard it. God heard their complaints. Now put yourself in Moses' shoes. If you're Moses, what would you have done? Would you have lashed out at your siblings as they were throwing complaints at you? See, I know me. That's probably what I would have done. I would have defended myself. Is that what Moses did? Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Here's what it says. Numbers 12, verse 3. Now the man, Moses, was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth. So it's as if God puts a pause right here when all these complaints are going against Moses. And and instead of Moses lashing out, God says, you know what? Moses is the most humble man in the world. Now that word humble here, that Hebrew word is the word anav. A-N-A-V, anav. That's not the normal word for humble. Yes, it's a word that means humble, but it also means that the person is completely dependent on the Lord. It's used multiple times in the book of Psalms. But there's one place that I want you to listen to to get the fullness of this word. It's in Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3. Listen to this verse. Here's what it says. Seek the Lord, all you humble, anav, of the earth, who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness, seek humility, anavah. Perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger and understand 
in Numbers 12, this is the day of the Lord's anger. We're gonna see it in just a minute. And he says, those who are humble will be hidden from God's anger. So this type of humility is only found according to Zephaniah chapter two, verse three, in the people that seek the Lord. It's only found in people who are living by God's word and God runs to Moses' defense because he was humble. He was relying completely on the Lord. Let me ask you, would God call you humble? And I don't mean because you're going around saying, oh, shucks, I'm not that good at anything, and just acting like you're humble. That's not true humbleness. As a matter of fact, God has given you things that you are good at. He, he's used his power to put inside you to make you good at those things for a reason. Don't fake humility by saying, oh, I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that when God has made you good at those things. Just recognize that power is from the Lord. It's not from you. It's not anything you've drummed up. He's done it for you. But understand true humbleness is when we recognize that God is working through us and it, it happens as we walk hand in hand with him. So it means that we're completely dependent on him and we recognize our own human limitations. But we recognize that in those limitations is where God often comes through in a powerful way. And that's where Moses is. He fully relied on the Lord. And so God ran to his defense. Look at verses four and five with me. Here's what it says. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent and he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forward, he said, and we're gonna get into what he said in just a moment. But suddenly God calls Moses and Aaron and Miriam to come to the tabernacle for a meeting. Now, if you're Aaron and Miriam, what on earth are you thinking in that moment? Maybe you're thinking, well, God heard us correct Moses. Oh man, I bet God say, sees that he can trust us just as much as our brother. And now he's finally gonna give us more jobs to do for him. He's gonna put Moses in his place. Maybe, maybe they were thinking that initially, I don't know. Or maybe they're thinking, oh no, we have really messed up big time. God's given Moses these jobs to do, and here we are throwing these false accusations against him. God's about to put us in our place. Well, let's see what he does. Verses six through eight, here's what it says. God said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth. 
even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? So God responds in a powerful way to Aaron and to Miriam. And there's three things that I see here that I think we need to understand about God's response. The first is this, God showed the difference between talk and action. See, in that text, it says to prophets, and by the way, prophets, that's not somebody that's a fortune teller. It's always telling about the future. That, that's kind of what we think sometimes. Prophets are someone who speaks about what God has showed them. So if God shows me something and I speak truth to somebody else, I'm a prophet. So to prophets, God said he would make himself known to them in two things. One is visions. Think about people like Isaiah, people like Ezekiel. This morning I was in Ezekiel chapter 8 and God showed up in a vision and took uh, Ezekiel to the temple and he saw these leaders who, who were doing all these things, worshiping idols, and they said they didn't think God could even see them. It's a vision. God says, I'm going to show myself in visions to prophets. Not only visions, the second thing, I'm going to show myself in dreams. So think about people like Joseph or Daniel. So like we said earlier, Aaron and Miriam. Aaron was a prophet. Miriam is a prophetess. God says, you know what? I'm going to speak to you, but I'm going to use visions and I'm going to use dreams to speak to you because that's how I speak to prophets. But to servants like Moses, I will speak to my servants mouth to mouth. Other translations say face to face. Now, you may be thinking, wait a minute, Exodus 33, 20, God says, you cannot see my face, nor uh, for no man can see me and live. And that is absolutely true. Does that mean that Moses is all of a sudden going to somehow see every bit of God, see his face? That's not what this is talking about. This text is using a figure of speech to say Moses would have incredible intimacy with God. So I want you to see there is a vast difference from talking about God's instructions, like a prophet, like Aaron, like Miriam, and being a humble servant like Moses. See, a prophet is all about telling about God, whereas a servant is busy acting on the master's orders. It's a big difference. And when people examine my life, they are to see a servant. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. When someone looks at my life, they should see a servant. And it's to servants that God speaks in an intimate way.
So here's my question. Are you being a humble servant of Jesus? You don't have to tell someone if you're a servant of someone else. You don't go out saying, by the way, I'm the servant of Jesus. Yeah, that's me. I'm a servant of Jesus. They see it because you are always acting in his interest, not your own. You're getting your master's orders and you're following them. And people see servants because dust is always being kicked up as they're serving their master. Let me ask you this then. Are you acting on the instructions of your master? I really hope that you're spending time with him every day. You're spending time in his word, but it's not enough just to read about who he is. It's not even enough to tell other people what you know about him because prophets do that. You are to be a servant. And it's to servants that God is incredibly intimate with. But it's not easy being a servant. Often, you are doing jobs that nobody else wants to do. Can that describe you? Are you a servant of Jesus Christ? So that's the first thing that, that God, that we see that, that, that in that response of God to Miriam and Aaron, is that there's a difference between talk and action. He's looking for servants, not necessarily prophets. Second thing is, God gave a specific description of a servant. In the text of Numbers 12, Moses is described a few different ways as a servant. One, it says, we already talked about it, he was humble. The second, it says in verse seven, he's faithful. And in verse eight, we see that he beheld the form of the Lord. So let's, let's tackle those. The three things of what a servant is to be. One, humble. Moses was humble. It was not about him. It was about God. And he relied with everything he had on the Lord. A servant is always humble. Two, Moses was faithful. He was trustworthy. To be called a faithful or trustworthy servant of God is the highest honor that can be said of a follower of Jesus Christ. Think about that parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Oh, how I long to hear the words of the master for the faithful servant where he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that your heart's cry is on that day when you meet Jesus, that you want him to call you a good and faithful servant. Because you see, a servant is always trustworthy. Even when nobody's looking, they're going to be obedient to their master. And the third thing about a servant that we see in this text is that Moses beheld the form of the Lord. Essentially, he saw God for who he was. As God revealed himself to his servant in, in an intimate way, Moses beheld the form of the Lord. And I think 
these three descriptions must describe us if we're ever going to be a servant of the Lord. We have to be humble. We have to realize it's not about us. It's not about our strength. It's not about what we can do, but we have a master and we're going to follow him. The second thing is we have to be faithful. Our actions must match our words. As God shows us something to do, we can't just say, oh, that's a good teaching. We have to put it into practice. And lastly, we must view God for who he is. If we don't have a proper view of him, how can we ever respond to him the right way? And see, when we're a servant, God reveals himself in a more intimate way. And we're able to fully see who he is. The third thing that we see about this response to Aaron and Miriam in this text is that God showed his willingness to defend his servants. See, essentially, God calls Moses, Aaron, and Miriam into the principal's office. You ever, you ever been to the principal's office when you were a kid, when you were in school? Did you ever have times where you were called into the principal's office? Thankfully, that wasn't a place I spent a lot of time, but I had friends that went there pretty often. And from what I understand, that's not the place that you want to be. Just imagine their nervousness as Aaron and Miriam were told to step forward in verse 5, and God speaks these words, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? And at that moment, no matter what preconceived notions they had of why they had a meeting with God himself, they understood that God was defending his servant, Moses. Now understand this, guys. That doesn't mean that if God has a leader, we should never question or we should never um, kind of ask them what they're thinking in a situation. Do you remember the story in Exodus 18 where Moses' own father-in-law confronted Moses? And he says, you know what? You need to find some leaders to help with these disputes. And he confronts Moses. That's very different than what happens in Numbers 12. Aaron and Miriam complains to Moses in a very different way. They start out by complaining about his wife. How ridiculous. That's how they start their argument. You married a Cushite. How could you, Moses? Then they essentially call Moses prideful. And God responds by saying, you know what? Not only is he not prideful, he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. If you are ever tempted to complain about the leaders God has for you. Examine your heart first. This is huge. This is huge. In this case, Moses' siblings brought arguments against Moses that were self-driven. And it says that God's anger burned because God runs to the defense of his servants. 
So if you're gonna complain about a servant of God, complain about somebody that's doing their best to follow Jesus and doing their best to live out what he's teaching them and doing their best to model it for others, know that God's anger will burn if you have selfish motives. Like Aaron and like Miriam. Because God runs to the defense of his servants. So knowing this, let me tell you, the safest place for us to be is be as believers in Jesus is in the middle of his perfect will. The safest place for us to be is to be a servant of the Lord, getting our daily instructions from him and doing our best to walk them out, saying, yes, sir, when he gives us an order and keeping our head down and working for him, no matter what assignment he gives us, because those are the people that he defends. At the same time, we better be very, very careful when we throw around complaints against other people. See, God takes those seriously. If that person we're complaining against is a servant of his, watch out. He is gonna run to the defense of his servants. So you better make sure that your complaints are from a pure motive. What happens next in our story in Numbers 12? Well, look at verse 10 with me. Verse nine says, the anger of the Lord burned against them and he departed, verse 10. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned toward Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Miriam was struck with leprosy. The Hebrew word here is zarat, zarat. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean leprosy like we think about it today. It can be a fungal infection. It can be cancer. It can be anything on the skin. But if you had leprosy, if you had a skin disease, you were forced to live outside the camp. You were an outcast from society. And all of a sudden, Miriam, this prophetess who was the leader of the women of Israel, now had to go outside the camp. She could no longer perform her duties that God had given her unless she were healed. So why was it just Miriam, Miriam that, was, that was struck with leprosy in this text? Did you catch that? The very beginning, it's, it's Miriam and Aaron that are bringing these accusations against Moses. Why is it just Miriam who has leprosy now? Well couple things. One, this culture, it is very odd, number one, to list a woman's name, unless you have to, but number two, especially if you're going to, you wouldn't list her name first. That is absolutely odd. Why would, why would Moses, if he's writing this, put Miriam's name first in this account? Well, the only reason would be if she were the one making the accusations. Is that what's going on here? Well, yes. How do we know? Numbers 12.1, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. 
No English translation picks up on the Hebrew of the word spoke. It is a feminine singular word. If you are reading this in Hebrew, you know as soon as you read that word, Miriam is the one doing the speaking and it's singular. She is doing it. So who was struck with leprosy? The one that was making the accusations. And all of a sudden we see in the story, Aaron turns around, his sister's leprous, and he starts pleading with Moses. He pleads for mercy. Yeah, one, because that's his sister. He probably loves her. But it's not just that. Do you understand? Aaron is on Miriam's team. If she's struck with leprosy, guess what can happen to him too? And so he says, you know what? Verse 11, we were so foolish. We acted foolishly. Now, why was he saying they were foolish? What does the Torah say if you intentionally sin? If they knew better and they did it anyway, you're stoned to death. So Aaron's like, oh no, we were just foolish. It was an unintentional sin. And he begs for mercy. Now look at verse 13. Listen to this verse. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, oh God, heal her, I pray. This is the first time in Numbers 12 that Moses speaks. When his brother and sister were making false accusations against him, guess what? He didn't open his mouth. He kept his mouth shut. But now he cries out to the Lord on behalf of his sister. Do you see the difference? See, when someone attacks you, and maybe you even know the accusations are false. The best thing you can do is to keep your head down and keep doing what God is telling you to do. Let God be your defense. That's exactly what Jesus did. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before it shears. So he did not open his mouth. And you get to the gospels and you see it over and over when people are making these false accusations and Jesus keeps silent. And too many times we want to defend ourselves from accusations. And our enemy knows this about us. And our enemy uses other people to attack us so that our eyes will be diverted from what is really important. Don't let the enemy take your eyes off of the task that God has given you. You are a servant of the Lord. And if you are busy doing what he tells you to do, he will run to your defense. You don't have to worry about defending yourself. Trust him to do it for you. So amazingly, when Moses finally speaks in this chapter, it is for the person who was accusing him of doing things wrong. You see that? It's incredible. This reminds me so much of Jesus as he's being crucified. He prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing in Luke 23 only way 
we will ever pray this type of prayer over people who are seeking harm is if we're truly a servant of the Lord. If we are seeking His will above our own, the people making the accusations, they are created in His image just like us. He wants to use them just like us. Jesus understood that when He was being crucified, how much His Father loved each of them even though they were crucifying Him. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you understand? Your battle is not against any other human on earth, period. Your enemy is not human. And if you don't see others the way God sees them, the way that he created them, just as much as he created you, you will never be in a place where you can pray for them like Jesus did when he was being crucified. Or you can pray for them like Moses did when he had false accusations thrown his way. We've got to see things the way God sees them. That's what a servant does. And as the text finishes in Numbers 12, God does heal Miriam. God hears the prayer of Moses as he cries out and intercedes on behalf of Miriam and on behalf of Aaron. And he hears that prayer and he answers that prayer. But she had to be outside the camp for seven days. And the people, all of God's people, all of Israel were stuck in their journey until Miriam was healed. They didn't get to continue going towards the promised land. They didn't get to continue to travel. Her sin affected the entire nation. If you are a leader, understand the consequences when you don't act according to the Lord's will. It affects more than just you. So as we finish, let me ask you a few questions as we kind of recap what we've learned. First thing, are you running in your lane? Are you busy doing exactly what God has designed you to do? And I'm not talking about uh, just your job or your career. Spiritually. God has given you spiritual gifts. He's given you things that he's entrusted you with. And your job is to be a faithful servant in all those things. Are you running well in your lane? Two, are you humble? And again, that means that you fully rely on the Lord. That's not easy. We're Americans. We want to rely on our strength. We're the most powerful nation in the world. We're the richest nation in the world. We want to rely on our bank account. And God says, no, if you want to be my servant, you have to be humble. You have to rely on me fully. Three, are you a servant of the Lord? And by definition, that means you put action to what you know to be true. It is more than just words. Are you a servant? Are you busy putting his word into action? 
for? Have you found yourself complaining about leaders? Maybe as I talked, as, as, we, as we talked about this complaining that Moses and Aaron did, excuse me, Miriam and Aaron did, maybe, just maybe, it struck a nerve because you've been the one busy complaining about leaders that God has given you. Repent. Seek forgiveness. God takes this seriously. And five, maybe you're in the position that where you have felt attacked. Allow the Lord to defend you. Keep your eyes on the mission God has given you and allow the Lord to be your defense. Pray with me. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, for everyone listening to this podcast, I pray that we would be busy running in our lane. God, teach us what it means to be humble and to be a servant and help us to allow you to be our defense. God, you are so good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I invite your questions. Reach out to me on Twitter at Arbel Ministries or email me at arbellministries at gmail.com. I'd love to interact with you. Thanks so much. Uh, and I look forward to the next podcast.